Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh? I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh? Yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the church just five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't saw nothing but you started trying to reach, huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Yeah. 
and got into IT at the time when if you could spell IT, you could get in. But because of some of my background, <laughs> I had a lot of training in leadership and was able to pull those together. Long story short, later on in life, as my kids have grown up and are 28 and 25, these two worlds have come back together where I'm doing a lot of things at a high level musically as well as have done a lot of things around consulting with major corporations and major federal and state agencies. And there's the combination of what I see between them, and that's where the idea for my first book, Culture is the Base, of the Seven Principles of Developing a Culture that Works, and then my new book that's coming out this year, uh, at the beginning of next year, called Workplace Jazz, Helping Agile Teams Develop Their Transformation and, and Create Transformation for Their Organizations. And so that's kind of where it all came from, is that combination of musical training, business training, seeing what's happening as a musician, seeing what's happening in business, and combining those two worlds together. And I guess that's why, you know, as listening to you as, you know, a musician entertainer myself, listening to you, um, that that right there is a juggling act that a lot of entertainers or musicians and business people haven't been able to figure out how to do, you know, right. uh, how to have how, how to have a, a, a serious music career, you know, with the, that demanding side of it, you know, with the with the touring, with the uh, practicing and rehearsals, and then being a business person at the same time. You know, right. one kind of like kind of, you know, but it seemed like you've been able to uh, figure that out and, and, and make that work. Yeah, I have. And and a, and a part of it is that when I, as a musician, I found myself to be someone that was pretty organized, um, not showing up late for, for gigs and, you know, being on top of my music and being prepared. <laughs> and I realized well, that you that never got you never got charged you never got charged for being late in rehearsal is what you're telling me. Right? Exactly. Yeah, how do you get charged for being late? Because <laughs> we always got charged back in the day. You late, you got to pay, buddy. Exactly. Because you know, time is money, right? Time is money, and when yep. you're playing and and you got to rehearse, all that time that you spend is is, is critically important. But what I realized was that. Um, organizing chaos and just really being good at um, kind of organizing and pulling things together was kind of came second nature to me. And when I made that decision to do something else for a little while, um, the idea of project management, program management, that just kind of fell in and it fit like a glove. It felt like picking up another instrument, honestly. And so, well, who, yeah, uh, some... yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead, finish your statement. No, I was just going to say that really worked out to be able to pull those two things together and, you know, bring that business acumen into the music space where, you know, a lot of times it, sometimes that can be missing, but not all the time, but, but sometimes that can be missing. Yeah, well, I can think of a lot of musicians that all the time is missing. That's why that's why, that's why they get into some of the uh, situations that they get into because they're you know they're talented musicians but uh, they miss right. the, the business side or you know the the, uh, the flip side of that is you can be a great business person and then you could be lacking on the other side as well too so exactly but it's exactly. you know like I said but it's a blessing. Uh, who are some of your role models? I mean, are they? I know, um, I know there's not many. Like I said, we're talking. I know it's not many that's able to, uh, you know, to master the situation like you've done. But who are some of your well, models, well, you know uh, mentors out there? I've ran into both. I've ran into to, to business consultants and musicians on both sides. Uh, I recently, within the last few years, got connected to be able to spend some time with uh, Gerald Beasley. Donald Robinson and Gerald runs a base boot camp uh, up in the Philadelphia area, and he has a, a great gig that happens at South Restaurant in Philly. And he, I think he really has that on. Like he's figured it out how to have a, how to, to pull together business as well as be a great musician. And um, when I started going to his boot camp, I got a chance to meet Victor Wooten. Uh, last time I got a chance to meet Marcus Miller. And, and some of the other guys, and I got a chance to start working, doing some work with uh, Donald Robinson as I'm getting ready to work on my own first album and put some music out. And, you know, these guys have actually figured it out. And then on the other side, I've done some stuff with the National Speakers Association where I've met speakers who 
um, they also play music on the side or play music as part of their speaking. And they actually figured it out as well where, you know, they, they do professional speaking and they talk about uh, making changes and they speak to corporations and, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, making um, money on the, on, the, on the business side, but they're bringing their art as part of it. And, you know, and when everything changed in the music business with streaming music and, you know, a lot of, the, um, <laughs> Tell me about you, know, it. Yeah. you know, musicians are not making a living the way they used to on record deals and record companies pulling back from, from uh, publishing or, or, or promoting artists. You know, the ones who are having to make it are having to become more business-oriented. They're having to think more business-oriented and basically use, have to use both of those skills to kind of make it because music is a business. It's the music business. Correct. I totally agree with that, you know, and I tell people on our music show that we do on Wednesday the same thing. This That's why they call it music business. This is not music play. It's music business. Right. So tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you help customers overcome. Well, you know, some of the challenges that I've helped my clients overcome is, one, I've done some consulting for um, – Department of Transportation uh, in Virginia, and they are a, a, a really large organization. They have their their system has like sixteen billion dollars of road construction projects across the state. They have over fourteen thousand projects and over a thousand project managers. And when I came in with them, um, I basically helped them to think through how to integrate some systems together and roll it out in such a way to think about culture. And over the last five years when I've been working with them, I actually wrote my first book, Culture is the Bass. You know, because if you listen to any great music, it always has a great bass line, right? All, all great music right. has a great bass line. Well, all great companies or great institutions have great culture. And so I began to kind of tie those two together. It's kind of like that song, It's All About That Bass. Well, it's all about the culture and the way the company is working. And they had actually had consultants in there. Go ahead. Question for you, question for you, sir. Yeah. Uh, define culture for the listeners that may not understand exactly what culture is. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, a company's culture is the is the emotional connection that they create among themselves and along with their customers. You you experience a company's culture when you walk in and you and you say to yourself, "I love shopping at this store." You may not know why, but if you go back and look at what's that company's vision, where are they going? I bet it's very focused on the customer. What's their values? You know, their values are probably very focused on making their customers first, uh, really reaching out to them. Um, as a team, they everyone on, on, within the company has bought in to it. And so they're, they're great team buying. I always say buy-in is a team sport. And then the, the, the stories that they tell about the company all kind of tie together. It moves their head, heart, and hand. Then they have a great environment, and then you see a group of people that are really working together. It's like a great family that has a great vision, has values. And so those seven ideas really make up what I would say are excellent cultures. And, in fact, I talk about that a lot in my first book and just kind of spell out how, no matter if you're a church, if you're a family, if you're a small organization, a large organization, a multinational corporation, how if you follow the seven steps, you can build a great culture so that when people walk into your door, they have that emotional feeling of this is where I like to be, this is where I, I want to be, this is where I want to spend my time and my money because it has a great culture. Right. So that's what I, I say. That's what that I think about when sense. I think about culture. I'm glad you broke it down so, you know, everybody else can kind of understand. I mean, they know, you know, they know the store they like to go to. They know the feeling. You know, they know that when they walk in the door, the ambiance, the whole place, but they don't exactly. really identify that as a culture. So now they kind of put that together, too. Right, right. And some cultures, the, the thing about it is that some companies, their culture is accidental. Like, the, like it's it based on the founder's personality. And so everybody kind of kind of aligns to that. And then some cultures are very deliberate where the founders come in and they say, this is how we want 
people to experience our services, our products, our store, uh, whatever the case may be. I think of Nordstrom. I think of uh, Zappos, which is an online shoe store. I think of Google. I think of Amazon. Um, when you buy something, they try to make it make you feel like, you know, we're going to take care of you no matter what. Even if you have to return it and they have to give you their money back, they make you feel valued. Well, that's a good that's good customer service as well, you know, because they know that exactly. people that's a big part of it. that. They know if there's if they know if there's an issue, it's going to be taken care of straight away. Exactly. Let me see. I think we have another caller here. Let me see. I see their hand up. Let me see who this is. Seven one zero. You're on. Care of straight away. Exactly. Hello. Let me see. I think we have another caller here. I guess I heard the show in the background, so I guess they didn't really want to speak. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so what is a billion-dollar beat? I know, you know, we referenced that a billion-dollar beat and discovered the hidden soundtrack, so explain that to us. Okay, so so I, 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 I coined this phrase, the billion-dollar beat, because just like I I, um, I shared about my mentors and coaches, well, I, I, not only do I have musical mentors and coaches, I have business and marketing mentors and coaches. And I think one of the most important things anyone can do, um, if you want to be excellent at what you do, is to find coaches and mentors who can take you to that next level. And so one of my coaches, when I was looking at how, how, how I'm marketing what I do, he basically stood back and said, you know, you're like a, you're like a billion-dollar consultant. And he used that because my clients are, you know, they have a billion-dollar portfolio that I'm helping them manage or oversee and, and, and help, helping them manage. And so what I was able to do with that particular client at the time was to basically help them find the hidden gems within their company to turn this – it's like – you know, big doors swing on small hinges, right? Big doors swing on small hinges. Right. And I was able to help them find the small hinges in their organization that could really swing the big doors in a positive direction and help them manage that, that billion-dollar portfolio. In fact, to do it in such a way that they were able to save 40%. Think about that. Saving 40% on a $16 billion portfolio and increasing their throughput to get more done with less resources by by implementing wow, some of these strategies. That's, that's huge. And so the idea of a billion-dollar beat came about from that, and, and really it's basically being able to take some of the strategies and concepts that I've been teaching my clients to basically figure out what are the small hinges in your organization, because we all have them. What's the small hinges in your in your organization, whether it's your church, your family, your company, your multinational organization, that if you tweak them just right, you can swing big doors and see major savings, either major throughput on getting more done with less, or major savings or reduction in cost to just really take your to take your business and your profits to a whole nother level. And so that's the whole idea of a billion dollar beat. And so from that, I've created a website that anytime I do an interview or, 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 or a podcast or, um, or someone wants to learn about me, I now can send them to BillionDollarBeat.com, and they can uh, sign up for a, uh, a, a webinar created that basically teaches them how to uh, take advantage and grow their expert status. And I'm also running a competition on that website as well where I'm giving away for the for every 25th uh, person that signs up, they're going to win a set of beat, beat headphones. And so that's the whole uh, idea behind the billion-dollar beat. That's good, good job, man. That's great stuff, man. So we, you, I know you have a book upcoming, uh, The Workplace uh, Jazz, and you know, yes. I get a smile on my face the way that you tied this in with uh, your, your music. So what was what was uh, the idea behind that? What prompted that? Okay, so the idea behind workplace jazz 
is, you know, working as a musician and playing in small ensembles. The thing about music is it's a emotional, spiritual connection that no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, when you get musicians together and they really start playing together, there's this thing that happens, right, for musicians. And as a musician yourself, you experience it. You felt it when you're playing, and it's like it puts everyone in the zone, and you're traveling down this road, and you're supporting each other, you're helping each other, right? Well, as right. a business consultant, what I've experienced is when I've worked with large organizations, like I've done consulting for the National Archives, for GEICO, for Freddie Mac, for Defense for Business Agency, for, these, uh, for just, just large companies, when they have small teams and we're working on something and I've provided them some guidance and we start, you know, the, uh, coming up with the deliverables and requirements and really meeting the company's needs, it, it generates the same emotional experience as a group of musicians getting together, playing, you know, um, Donna Lee or playing, playing some Charlie Parker or Dizzy Gillespie or some, some Quincy Jones or, 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 or Gerald Dalton playing playing some exceptional music where everyone is connected and, and, and working together. And so the idea behind workplace jazz is small teams and, and, and major corporations are in small corporations can actually experience the same process if they put together and use what I call it's the improvised framework. And the improvised framework is a, is a way of saying, hey, if you put these things in, in, into practice in your organization, you're going to see your small teams gel and really take off and take you to a whole other level. Wow. That's great stuff. Also, let me ask you this. I know as a so your CEO of your company, Principles of Execution, I love that. Yes. Uh, it's a, a certified minority business enterprise. Yes. And you've been doing and, – and how how does that fit in with uh, your – you being an author and a speaker, what do you got? Well, it's actually like the, 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 that business has actually laid the foundation for me to be able to do a lot of the things that I'm doing. Because I'm a minority-owned business and um, I'm able to gain access to talk to a lot of the bigger companies and network with a lot of the bigger companies. Um, you know, the Minority uh, Supplier Development Council has um, conferences and workshops going, going on and they have major corporations that need to diversify. And so they reach out to minority businesses like mine to bring certain talents to, to, to them. Um, by being able to do that, I'm able to then network and go have conversations with a Cisco Systems or Walmart or a Pepsi or an Apple in a way that I wouldn't be able to do if I was just trying to come off the street um, on my own and have that conversation. But because I'm going through. I've gone through the certification process, and now I'm a um, member of that organization. I gain access to be able to have those kinds of conversations and partner with other large companies, and can bring these same strategies and and, and skills to those companies um, with, within that um, within that area of their um, minority-owned uh, for, for their minority-owned businesses, or even partnering with other minority-owned businesses to help them grow to that next level to be able to provide better services to those major corporations. Okay, fine. Let me, um, this this question that's lingering here, uh, not, not really yep. a question, but uh, your steps to um, the nine steps you were talking about to a successful well, agile project team yeah. transformation. Yes. Uh-huh. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. So, so the nine steps, the way I look at it is the nine step starts off with the first one is improving your skills. You think about musicians. You know, one of the challenges as a musician is you, to, play, to play jazz, you, you really have to know your instrument. If you're playing, if you're, nothing against classical or any other type of music, but when you have all the notes written, um, you know, yes, you do have to develop your skill set to play those complex notes because I've played classical as well, orchestral music and solos and recitals. But when you're playing jazz, to really play jazz well, you have to have mastered that instrument. So one of the first things to be to, to, uh, for workplace jazz concept is 
whatever skills the team is bringing to the table, they need to focus on improving those skills. So if they're a developer, they need to focus on develop, creating um, great skills around their development skills. If they're project management, they need to develop great skills around project management. If they're a requirements person, same thing. Then next, they need to measure what matters. And so that's the M. So you improve, and then you measure. So you want to measure what matters. And what, when you focus on measuring what matters, it's, uh, it's finding that hidden soundtrack of that small hinge that swings the big door. Because you don't want to measure everything. You want to measure the things that are going to move the ball forward with, with, with either the project or whether it's a music project or a business project. You want to move the thing. You want to measure and move those things forward. Once you start measuring what matters to really make that happen, you have to then cultivate your personal attitude, and that's where the P comes in. It really boils down to your personal attitude. Um, I teach something also called conversational intelligence where I've gone after a certification with uh, a lady named Judith Glazer who uh, recently passed away. And it's about it, it really gets into neuroscience. And the idea behind this conversational intelligence is um, when we talk with each other, it's more than just a conversation. There's a chemical reaction that happens. And if we talk with each other and we have a positive attitude, then we release more positive chemicals in each other's in each other. If we talk with each other in a negative manner, we release more negative uh, chemicals. So imagine a band playing together and they have attitudes with each other. They're, they don't get along. Well, that music that, that music is not going to die. It's not going to groove, right? Because the horn player right. don't like the drummer, the guitar player don't like the bass player. Ain't going to work. But if you get music together <laughs> and they like each other. I'm laughing because I've been there. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've been there. <laughs> right? Ah. So, so personal, yeah. personal attitude is big. And so, if you, but if yeah. you, so from a personal attitude standpoint, if you really like your other bandmates or the other musicians or the people on your business team, then you're going to support them. You're going to encourage them. You're going to bring positive energy, which, because of the neuroscience of conversation, is going to elicit positive chemicals in the other person. And so now you've got this positive spiral going upwards, and you, it, it, it creates this feel-good experience that you want to go to work and be with your team because now you understand the power of your personal attitude. And so then once you understand that, you also have to take into consideration risk. That's where the R comes from. It's either, you know, managing risk to accomplish your reward. And just like musicians, when we're playing, we know, hey, if we're going to play Giant Steps or we're going to play um, some other uh, song, we want to play it in a way where everybody is uh, on point, got their skills together, bringing the right attitude, and we reduce the risk of that song sounding bad. Well, in the same way, businesses and small teams, they need to consider the risk for themselves individually and as a team to make things work. Next is just the idea of being open, open to feedback. Um, Ken Blanchard once said that the, uh, the breakfast of champions is feedback. You know, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And to really grow as a musician and in business, you have to be open to feedback. If you're not open to feedback, then you're, you're basically driving with blinders on. There's things that we just don't see about ourselves. And I've, I've gotten a chance to, to spend time and meet a gentleman named Willie Jolly, who's like one of the top five speakers in the world. Based let me on ask you, let, let me jump yeah. in there real quick. I want to just ask you a question yeah. while you're on that point. When you're saying open to, open to feedback, when one, uh-huh. when one is receiving this food feedback, does, does yeah. uh, ever come a situation where he has to consider the source or just be open to For all sure. feedback, period? No, no, you, you definitely have to consider the source. But here's the thing. All feedback that comes to you, uh, whatever we put out, something's going to bounce back to us, right? And if, we're, if, right. if what we're getting back, uh, back to us, even if it's from somebody that we may not like, if it's a negative, then there, there may be some truth in there somewhere. And sometimes it's, it's like getting, getting a, a bucket of cold water thrown in your face and it has a little sand in it. 
well, it's going to shock you and it's going to sting, but somewhere in there may be a little crystal of gold that you have to search for. And so being open to feedback can open you up to examining, you know, the, the responses that you're getting from your work, from the people around you, so that if you're that way, you're more likely to constantly be making those adjustments. It's like when, when pilots in airplanes fly. They're off course 99% of the time, but they're open to the feedback of the radar systems and other gadgets that are flying that plane to help them to get back on course. Well, we're some, most of the time, we're living our lives off course, and only when we're open to feedback from our environment and from those around us can we constantly be um, maneuvering to stay on course of where we're trying to go with our lives. Does that, make, does, that, does that make sense? Does that make sense? So then, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, so, so, so number seven here is you want to visualize your results. You know, it's been proven that if you visualize your outcomes, you're more likely to achieve them. You're actually programming your brain for success when you visualize. And, in fact, you're working the parts of your body and your brain that will accomplish the goal when you visualize. And that's something that I teach in my book. And so by visualizing the result you want, again, it's like a great jazz ensemble or orchestra or band, when they're planning on doing a concert, they're thinking, okay, how do we want the audience to respond? At the end of the night, what do we want from this concert? Do we want people to clap, stand up, give us a standing ovation? Do we want people to say, hey, where can I buy your record? Where can I buy your book? You're thinking about all those things, and you're visualizing them even as a group so that when you get together and you start playing, you've already saw the outcome you're achieving. And when you do that, you're more likely to go out there. And it's, and it's interesting that all world-class uh, athletes and musicians and business people visualize the outcomes that they want. And that's why they win the gold, because they spend a lot of time seeing themselves on that podium winning that trophy. And we have to do the same thing in our daily lives and in our business. That's so powerful next, stuff as well. Yeah, so the next thing is being inspired for, by aspiration. The idea of an aspiration is bigger than being just inspired. You can be inspired by something, but when you have an aspiration, you're thinking, I'm, try, I'm striving to be the best I can be at this specific you know, thing. I want to be number two in my market. I want to be number one in my market. There's an aspirational goal, which means it takes it elevates your thinking, your mindset, yourself physically to a whole other level. And so having an aspiration is much better than just having a goal or a dream. Because, because when you have an aspiration, you're, you're taking it's a holistic approach to everything that, that's moving you forward towards that goal. And so that's, so that's one of the keys. And then the last two is one, surrender to support. And the idea behind surrender to support is as a musician, when you're working together and someone says, hey, hey, it's John's time for the solo, and he's a guitar player, everyone else in the band starts listening to John. Everyone else, we're playing the same chords, but we're going to support John in the direction he wants to go with that solo. And then once the bass player's time or the piano player's time, everyone turns their attention to that person, and then they surrender what they're playing to where this other person who's soloing wants to go. In business, right. we have to do the same thing, especially in small, agile teams. It's, okay, so if it's the developer's chance to, to, to give the business something that they need, everyone supports that person to move things forward. And I've seen that happen, and it's very powerful when, when, when the team develops this attitude of surrender to support. And then finally, it, it's excellence in execution. And the mindset is that we're going to focus on getting things done, but we're going to strive to do them in an excellent manner. You know, someone said that excellence is a habit. I think it's Aristotle who said that, that you know, it's, we are what we repeatedly do, and so excellence is a habit. So we can decide to be excellent in everything that we do in our execution, and we go back and we put in the other eight steps, then we will transform that group, whether it's an orchestra, whether it's a, a jazz ensemble, whether it's a small, agile team, or on, on a business, 
even yourself. You can be transformed. And so the book is going to be covering all of those topics and really providing in-depth strategies, tools, and techniques for how to go to the next level, as well as stories from jazz musicians, as well as stories about jazz musicians and how they use these same strategies to take themselves musically to a different level and how you can use the same strategies as a jazz musician to take yourself to a different level as a business person. I'm definitely going to have to have one of my other partners take a listen to this. Uh, one of the guys that's a great and good friend of mine, I used to manage him, uh, Bobby Lyle, jazz keyboardist. Yeah. And, uh, I'm hearing a lot of stuff that uh, he and I have gone back and forth about, you know, but I don't think he c- connected it uh, with the music and the business like you're doing. But the, right. But the thoughts, but the thoughts are the same, you know. Because I used to, be, I used to tease him, and he used to tell me, "Well, you know, jazz players, if you can play jazz, you can play anything." And right. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, because you, because you really, you really have had to upskill yourself and master. You know, you just can't, you can't get by. You, you can't fake it when you're playing jazz at a high level. You have to know your instrument cold, in and out. You know, scales, arpeggios all the different parts of music that come together. And just like that, within business, to go to that next level, you can't fake it. You, you really do have to spend the time woodshedding your skills to go to that next level. As you do with business, because what I'm hearing, what you also know too, um, it's so, 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 so very important to have a good team, a cohesive team. Uh, team yeah. that's working in the same direction. Um, so I know I know that's very important. So developing that team, that's awesome. You know, you're giving people the the guidelines in order to do that. Right, right. You, you definitely have to develop that team. And again, I think following the, the, the those nine steps, um, you know, especially about the one around the personal attitude. It, it's I think so many times we underestimate the impact of our conversations and our attitudes towards each other. If, so if, we're, if we, no matter what happens, if we bring a positive, you know, um, future results-oriented value creation attitude and mindset in conversations to a team, we can change the whole chemistry and dynamics. And, in fact, we will change the chemistry that the, that the other persons in our team are their brains listed instead of instead of being in, uh, tense and producing cortisol, their brains will actually start producing oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, and GABA, which are all neurotransmitters that create this positive energy that we need, and it creates a uh, I mean, a robust a robust person and team. Let me ask you this question. As a CEO, yeah. uh, CEO of, of of your company, how do you how do you deflect a lot of the pressures? Or should I say the pressures that come to you? How do you deflect that from your team? Well, a part of it is being able to one um, constantly step back and assess your priorities. Um, you know, in my office, I keep a a board. It's called the Kanban board, and it's basically you know what am I working on. Uh, you know, what are we planning to work on? What are, what are we working on? And what are we completed? And the idea behind that is that every day, the focus is: am, am I focusing in on what's most important? And when everyone's focused on what's most important, and we have a daily stand-up or our call to discuss those things, then it keeps everyone on target. If if we don't do that or have those things in front of us, then pretty soon. We get caught up in the day-to-day, um, just just the, the running of the business or the running of the project, and we lose track of what's really important to our key customers and to our key team members. But by keeping things in front of us and by discussing them on a daily day, day-to-day basis and focusing on what's the priority, and again, for, to me, the priority always has to be what are the small hidden hinges that if we discover them and prioritize them, that can swing big doors, can make big things happen. With It's kind of like the Pareto Principle. I'm sure you probably have heard this with some of your other guests, which is the 80-20 Principle. 
and the idea that 20% of what I do creates 80% of my results. So if I so if I really want to get get move things in a big way, I'm going to focus myself and my team on the 20% of what we do to that's going to create the greatest result, and then outsource the rest. Outsource, right. delegate, or don't do the rest. Oh, yeah. Outsourcing definitely works. It goes back to the it old does. adage, working, sm- working smarter, not harder. Exactly, exactly. And, and it, it really does boil down to that concept of working smarter, not harder. And it really starts with not just – I mean, you've got to be great at time management, but I think you have to be more and more better at um, priority management and identify what are the key priorities that are going to move us in the direction of our goals and objectives and alignment. And, again, that all starts with, well, where do you want to go? What's your aspiration? What's your vision? And then that goes back down to, to that first thing that I talked about in my first book with the seven principles, which is what's my, what's my vision and now what's, my, what's our value? Because if we have values of teamwork, um, collaboration, co-creation, working together, and, and that's what, how we, we live and, and we manage our business and manage our teams, then it's going to make making decisions about what we do much easier if we have a strong set of values that are behaviors that we can govern and that we can measure. It makes perfect sense to me. I'm just I'm just wondering. I know this thought is out of the box because of what I'm hearing um, and what I'm thinking anyway, a lot of information that you're providing is definitely for the business, uh, the entrepreneurs, uh, the movers and shakers out there that's trying to establish themselves in business. Because any because right. any of these uh, principles that you you you've created um, apply or work for somebody that just has a nine to five. Sure. So if you if you're in a nine to five, and you let's say you know every day you walk in and somebody else is giving you a task list of what to work on, that's what they're giving you to work on. But they're built into your day is time for you to prioritize and think about well what skills that if I really focused on them would elevate me above this position. And what skills does the, the CEO admire? Or what skills does my boss's boss really admire in, in, in the workforce? Or what skills within our business are the critical skills that, that, that the, um, um, the big players ha- have brought to the table? Well, once you, ident- once you can identify what those are, even though you're working a nine-to-five, if you spend that time, focusing on developing those skills and improving those skills, whether it's reading a book, whether it's taking an online course, whether it's just, you know, practicing when you go to a meeting and just really target and focus on those, you're going to find yourself being asked to come to meetings that you were not a part of before because when someone someone who's running the company, they're looking at the bottom line. They're looking at what are the results that we're getting. And if they see someone down the, down the chain producing incredible results, they're going to take note and pull that person upward. And even if they don't, when you're creating those types of um, skills and, and improvements in your life, you're also creating a, a, a emotional and uh, energy vibe that goes out. And you're going to attract people who can use your skills so you may get start getting offers for other jobs that can really use your skills and take you to a whole other level. So even if you're a nine-to-five person, you can take and, and use those principles to basically take your life to a different level. Thank you. Thank you uh, for going there with me because I know I just wanted people to hear this, no matter what their job is or what occupation they may have, you know, you could always increase your market share. You could always yep. increase your value, you know. Um, so don't think you're just stuck. You could always do something. Just figure out what that is and get busy with exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate you um, touching that. So what's next no for you, sir? What what do you got? What do you got next? What's going on for you? What's coming up? Well, like I said, as I'm as I'm finishing up the the, the second book, Workplace Jazz, I'm also working on my uh, my first album. So I'm putting some songs together, and uh, by by just that, breaking that's something we're gonna be able to get. Is that something we're gonna be able to get to hear? Yes, you will be able to. And so, um, uh, what I'm, the way I'm, I'm, I'm looking at doing it, instead of putting the whole album out at one time, I'm going to be uh, releasing a couple of songs on iTunes and, and through my website um, over time. So by the time my book comes out, I'll have a, I'll have at least an EP of all of the songs that I want to have um, on my first album out, and um, and continually continually keep working on those. But I'm working with a gentleman named Donald Robertson who plays piano with Gerald Easley, and he's coaching me, and he's basically my producer for for the songs that I'm writing for this album. And so that's one project I'm working on. And again, with the book coming out, I've been doing a lot of these interviews and 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 just reaching out to the media with the great things that I'm doing, and and just um, webinars and workshops to kind of teach people these principles. That they can go again. They can go to my website. Um, they can go to billiondollarbeat.com or jjleonard.com, and they can learn a lot about these tools and skills to get, basically help them go to that next level for themselves. And so that's a lot of what I'm working on. And that's a lot right there within itself, boy. When do you get to rest? Uh, I believe it or not, that because I'm, I'm focused on the 20% that moves the 80, that creates 80%. I do have time to rest. I enjoy what I get to do, <laughs> so I don't feel so. First off, I don't feel like I'm working. Sometimes I feel like I'm playing, um, and so so work doesn't always feel like work. But two, because I'm focused on just the, the critical things that are going to move, uh, create the biggest movement, um, it does allow me you know, time to be flexible and to um, to have time to travel and and other things along that line. So uh, I get a lot of that in. Um, and it, but I really enjoy what I get to do, and I really enjoy getting to network, meet new people, read new books, take courses, and really continually keep learning, but applying and applying what I'm learning, but also being able to just kind of take time to just take walks and just reflect and enjoy enjoy life and enjoy what I get to do. And that's something that you just said there that more of us need to really do, just take time out and and reflect because things could be a whole lot worse than what they are. Yes, they could. Yes, they could. And as uh, long as uh, guys like you and some other friends of mine uh, keep speaking that international language, um, I'm talking about the music uh, that you know elicits emotions and feelings and do all that good stuff. Um, yeah. You know, we're gonna we're gonna definitely stay connected. That's for sure. Well, definitely. Well, I look forward to it, man. I really do. I really look forward to it. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking time out, man. We're not gonna hold you any longer. We know you got a ton of ton of things to do, but I, I want our listeners to know um, that they can definitely hear the show in its entirety uh, if they miss any parts of it. And I would definitely suggest that you go check out Mr. Gerald Leonard and his approach because we always can learn something and this gentleman got some very positive things to do great great principles in place that we all can benefit from and I know definitely I'm going to check you out man because I know some of the things that we touched on during this interview I say ah, I could work on those a little bit better you know what I mean Yeah, so, we um, all can right? <laughs> we all can keep improving ourselves and, and take it to the next level yeah, and that's one thing that I enjoy about this format that I have here. Should I say not format, but platform. You know, I get yeah. to talk to gentlemen such as yourselves, you know, and, and, and keep that principle, each one teach one. So even if um, we touched a few hundred people, a few thousand, me, and whatever with this conversation, I mean, it's good to know that somebody came away benefiting and learning something from what we've been able to put out there to them. Exactly, exactly. So, again, I want to thank you so very much. And uh, definitely let us know when that music come out and we can get you on another show and we can talk about your music and, and play that as well. So uh, definitely stay in touch, and we're going to stay in touch with you. 
Well, excellent. Well, excellent. I really appreciate it, and thank you so much. I'm very grateful to be on the show, and thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you, man. Mr. Gerald J. Leonard, y'all. Go check him out. And uh, this is your host, Lamont Patterson. Kind of play a play. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. And we're going to play one of our songs again. This is a shameless plug, but this is one of our own songs, Babylon. Coming to you. Put your ears on this. Online to worldmovement.com. 
and ask yourself, can a player play? 